This is Tenacious T, your hostess, collaborator, and orchestrator of Phonoliquists. And today we are interviewing Kise uh, Lemon. Is that correct? Kise. Kise. Yeah, that's okay, it. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's here uh, with the uh, Lit Crawl. Mm hmm. And he was the keynote speaker here at the Nevada Museum of Art, and we are well over the moon that we have this opportunity to chat with you. I'm so happy to be here, yes. and thank okay. you. And thank you for the best gifts I've ever gotten. Don't tell, it. Don't tell everybody. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I want to start with the part, I want to start with, um, I have read uh, Heavy, and um other mm -hmm. uh, works of yours, and uh, specifically from Heavy, I recall the uh, part when your grandmother takes you and the Impala to go pick up the washing from that family, mm. and uh, she tells you to stay in a car and not talk to that mm -hmm. crazy little white boy, mm -hmm. and he comes up to the window, mm -hmm. and he says, so you're, you're, a, you're Reno's grandson, <laughs> and here it is, you are in Reno. Right, that's right. I didn't even <laughs> I, think about that. And, and I I was like, well, what, what did he mean by Reno? I live in Reno, and he's right. going to be here in Reno, and I want to know. Yeah. Why did he call her Reno? Uh, you know, I, I want to say that it has something to do with Reno, Nevada, but I think my grandmother gave that family, like, an alias. It was a part of her keeping herself tacked, all intact. She didn't want this family whose underwear she washed who sometimes treated her respectfully, who often didn't, she didn't even want to give them the benefit of knowing her actual name. And because you're getting paid under the table, you can do that. Do you know what I'm saying? So she, it was one way that she could keep herself, and her name is Catherine Coleman, um, safe from the people who were paying her. So uh, I think what, what she told me is that one day the father uh, called her Reno, and then she just went along with it. And she was just like, yes, yes, no, no. But, you know, that whole scene is partially about how a lot of these older, really, in my state, black women spent their lives sort of like insulating their actual interiority from the people who pay them. Because mm -hmm. there was no reason to trust the people who pay them. And they didn't want, she just didn't want, she wanted to keep them at arm's distance. Right. Just, so she went along with Reno. Yeah, but when I was a kid, on. I was like, who is Reno? Like, I never, that's, you know, my, my grandmother's grand, my grandmother's best friends called a uh, cat, a cat, which was her nickname. Nobody ever called her Reno. So I was just confused from the jump. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank, thank you for sharing. But I'm glad to be yeah. in Reno. Now, I, didn't, I forgot about that connection. Yeah. Have you ever been to Reno before? I was just talking about this embarrassing story. But after I wrote Heavy, I guess I can tell all embarrassing stories. You know, Maybe about 10 or 11 years ago, I was driving, I was on a train cross country from New York and I was coming to the Bay Area and we stopped in Reno. And that was when I was like in the throes of like deep gambling addiction. And so when we stopped for like 30 minutes in Reno, <laughs> I jumped off of that train and just ran to a casino just because I just needed the fix. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And I ran. I barely, I barely made my train. But that was the only experience I've ever had with Reno. Was stopping on the train, trying to dip into a casino to lose a little bit of money, and jumping right back on my train. That so, was it. So, how is your experience now? Like, it, I mean, obviously, you still, you know, addiction is addiction. It doesn't, right? You know, go away. So, how's um, your experience? 
You mean with, with this gambling? Time, well, just this time around. You know, oh, yeah. That. Like, you know, that's the thing. That's, I, was, I was just talking earlier about this. I, um, I'm not one of those people who, like, if you put me in Vegas or Reno, I really want to gamble because I don't I actually don't want to go outside, especially not as, you know, every now and then people recognize me. You can't write a book about gambling addiction and then go to casinos anyway. Um, I mean, you could, but I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> right. uh, but I just don't have any desire to go to a casino when I'm in a place that's surrounded by them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm in New York and you have to go to uh, Connecticut an hour, I feel because I love to drive too. I like something about that is much more attractive. If I'm in Mississippi and I got to go to the coast or I have to go um, to Tunica, like that's when I start to feel an urge. But, you know, I got in last night. I saw the Harris signs and all mm-hmm. of that. Well, they have the, don't they have slot machines? Yeah, the, right. Uh, when I got off airport. the airport, I saw the, I saw <laughs> yeah. all of the, and not, there was no, I mean, also that has to do with just trying to work through this. Like no part of me wanted to give my money away. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, I'm, I'm questionable of people who are always like, I'm, I'm through with that part of my life, but I'm definitely not hungry to give my money away. As I was then. I mean, literally, fam, the, the train stopped for 30 minutes. And the whole ride across country, I was looking forward to that stop in Reno because I knew it was the train station was close to, I looked on the map. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, like, now, just like, you know, last night I got in, no, you were not going to find me at a casino. <laughs> no. You know? No, that's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Thank you. Of course. Um, let's see. The other question, I had to write this down because I'm a little sleepy and old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess let's go into something. Let's maybe go into writing a little bit. Right. So um, you talk a lot about how your mom, um, you know, was the driving force behind you Mm -hmm. writing. And um, I've read it in your essays Mm -hmm. and in the book and even... Heard you um, speaking at um, you know on the YouTube videos or mm-hmm, what have you, mm-hmm. but for some reason I thought to myself like, okay, yeah, I can see that, and as as a parent myself, mm-hmm. like wanting making your children do something, right. you know, because it's good for them. Right. Um, but there there comes a point I believe where uh, there's a, there's that that switch that flips and it becomes like you you do it because the intrinsic value of doing it you can you can say where it all started from but where was that that switch where where you knew you were going to do this and it didn't it didn't if you didn't that that was not going to work for you Mm -hmm. at all do you mean writing Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question um that's a great question. It's hard to source when exactly that happened. You know, I had to write my entire, I, I played sports all my life, but before I could practice or go to a game, my mother made me write. You know, I had to write, I had to read a dictionary and then I had to write essays using dictionary words. And so I always looked at writing as like discipline, you know? Um, but then by the time I got to like high school, I think it was, and I started writing for the newspaper, and I could write about what I wanted to write about, um, I still wasn't, like, as audacious enough to think I could become a writer. I didn't even know what that meant. But I knew at that point I was going to write for the rest of my life because that's how I 
like the things I didn't understand, like writing helped me slow them down. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I know other people use different things. Some people I know use like instruments. Some people I know may beat. Some people I know like rapped. But for me, and I used to do all of that stuff too, but for me, just like sitting down, revising a passage and trying to make sense of it and make music of it just became something that made me feel good. So even when I went to college, I still didn't think I could become a writer. Um, then I got on a newspaper there and I became an editor. And then I got kicked out of school for some stuff that I was writing. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was just like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to eat off of this, but I'm going to write for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? And then and then you just get lucky, you know what I mean? Some things happen and some breaks happen. But for me, I think it was high school when I really started to do the writing that I wanted to do as opposed to the writing that my mother made me do. Mm-hmm. But I was already... You know, mechanically, I was sound because of the training that she gave me. And that's why, like, anything I write, especially heavy, you know, it says my name on it, but that's my mama's investment. Like, she, without her, that's, that book doesn't exist, for better and worse. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So It's funny um, you should say that, because I almost feel the same way about your other um, writings, your other essays and yeah. articles that you've done. I kind of st- I started backwards. I started with heavy, yeah, and then I started reading other things, right. and it was like pat- a patchwork quilt. Like yeah. I-, I could fill in like little tiny gaps and have a better understanding of what was happening Absolutely. in heavy, and by reading your other um, materials. And what I noticed was, uh, how do you say, everything you write is heavy. Oh. <laughs> That's what I noticed. Yeah. Like, I'm, I mean, I remember looking at the book when it came into the library, and I was like, Mm-mm, I don't want to read that. It's too much, yeah. I really don't. Right. And then, and then I read it, and it was like, how do you, I mean, truth be told, um, how, and this goes into my second question about it's, how do you you balance the demands of the reader while taking care of the reader because of what you're writing? Do you, right. do you understand I do that? I definitely do. Um, that's a great question. Nobody ever asked that question. So I used to love, that's why we, when, yeah, I, I still love hip hop. Like I'm one of the, I'm one of my, the last of my friends who was like a holdout, do you know? And when I was a kid, KRS-One, who I'm now very critical of had this line where he was like, people died so I could rhyme. You think I'm going to grab the mic and waste my nation's time. And for the longest, I, I thought about that when I, not when I was writing, because, but what I was publishing, because, you know, the thing about all writers and artists is that the stuff that the audience sees is just like a smidgen of the stuff we create. But if I'm going to put something out there, you know, I do want it to resonate with, with my intended audience but on the sentence level, I want them to feel cared for. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I want them on the sentence level to be like, oh, that's a familiar sentiment, or he's remixing a sentiment that I know, or this person sees me. But I do think sometimes in my art, like the initial grasp is like what people would call like heavy and like ultra provocative. I mean, the, the title of that book is How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. Like, that's a very provocative title. I think there's a lot of comedy in that book Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of comedy in heavy too but I'm not trying to grasp you with comedy and then bring you into something really deep and possibly traumatic and 
you know, catastrophic. I'm trying to grab you with like the shared catastrophic and then hopefully bring you into some comedic and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, but the risk is that because we all are us and we live in worlds that are always hitting us and, you know, familiar relationships that are hitting us and we hit other people. Sometimes people don't want to read a book called How to Slowly Kill Yourself. Sometimes people don't want to read a book called Heavy, you know, when it's just the word on the title. Like it's not even we were going back and forth about what we were going to put on the title. And like somebody was like, well, should we misdirect and put like a picture, last picture of my mother on my Twitter is the last picture my mother and I ever um, took of each other. And in that picture, you know, it's kind of like a happy picture. Like I'm, you know, posing and she's right there and she's sort of proud. But then I was like, nah, man, let's just put the word on there and just go with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. That's a great question. Thank you for that. <laughs> um. I, and it was, and I thought about it too because of my reaction to it. It wasn't just that the the book resonated. It was like, I just I'm I'm a crier. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> me too. I'm reading it, and my daughter pops out her door. Mom, are you reading that again? Oh, uh, <laughs> how old is your daughter? She's fifteen. Oh, so she so she can know, like she <laughs> yeah. knows. Yeah. yeah, she knows. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you put that book down and right. take a break? Right. And I'm like, oh, on yeah. the sofa, and my eight year old's like, I'm hungry. I have a bowl of yeah. cereal. I can't do this right now. Right. But <laughs> so. I thought you. That's I'm so you know right. Like sometimes I wish. Sometimes I think if I could revise that, I wonder if I would. Um, take just a take 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 it down a notch. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of some of the some of the stuff that can evoke pain, and because the thing you want to, I mean, the thing I want to do, I never want to hurt people with my art, but it's but it's tough in a in a in a society in a world like for me that gave me books my entire life that erased me, that erased my grandmother, that erased my mother. So when you erase people, you erase their joy, you erase their pain, you erase their like ambiguity, you erase their like uncertainty, and so. Sometimes, retrospectively, though, I wonder if I, if I, if I, if it was a little too heavy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't want anybody to cry in front of their, um, in front of their children. Oh, you don't. You don't want that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I, I get how it can be ultimately like useful, possibly, but you don't want to hurt people. You know. Yeah, I think it was more of a. A cathartic maybe I cry you, you yeah, know it wasn't yeah. I didn't feel any sort of trauma okay but it was definitely one of those things where you I understood a lot of the pain right and that's just my way of of you know getting through it and my they, my kids understand right that's right. not the first time they've seen me cry with that's a book on the sofa Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> you know yes, so yes I need that, to hear that thank you for that yes um you you love hip-hop and I love hip hop. So you I'm I'm assuming that um Hanif, you you know Hanif. Hanif? Yeah, 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 you, yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. are mates and something. So yeah. I wanted to know, um I read uh, the Love Letter to Tribe Called Quest. Yep. Did you read it? Definitely read it. It few, was so much a few fun. Times. Yeah. I couldn't I just I couldn't understand like how did he remember all this right, so well right, like right. like this it really truly is a love letter because it touched him so deeply that he could write you know this love letter absolutely to, to tribe so um who would you write a love letter to musicians yeah <laughs> Man, dropping bombs today um today if i could write a letter 
I think I would write a letter to Mm, okay, can I put two? It's a tie. Okay. No, I'll just do one. No, I'll do just two. Do one. Now just do I one. want two because okay. I'm curious. So, so the two would be, um, the two would be Lauren Hill, and partially because of things that have happened in the last few weeks, would be Jay. Would be Jay Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren Hill because you know, heavy. If if heavy is informed by an album. It's informed by miseducation more than any other album. And um, and also, it, I just think Lauren is... I just think I, th- I think we didn't treat Lauren the way she should have been treated. And I think... And then, we, and then we turn around and we're like, why is she, you know, not what we think she should be? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, there's a lot. I would talk to Lauren. I would write a letter to Lauren. And I would hope she would write back. And Jay... Um, I would write a letter about friendship to him. I love Jay-Z. Uh, I'm super critical of Jay-Z. I taught classes, Jay-Z classes, for like five years uh, when I was taught at Vassar in New York. Um, but I, I would want to write him a letter about friendship. I think he writes a lot about capitalism. Um, I think he writes a lot about regret. But I, I just, the whole thing with Kaepernick and what I, I, I really want to write him a letter about friendship. Because beyond all of that other stuff, I just, I think the friend, I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, but I think the friendship aspect of that kind of got neglected. I think you talk to Kaepernick before you do that because that's what friends do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think friendship, and, and, and I'm from the black, deep south, and organization and community are rooted in friendship. And without friendship, you kind of have no organization or community, or you have a weakened community. So I'm just, I would just make the argument that abiding friendship is going to make him richer if that's what he wants, but also just make him more potent. And so I would just talk to him about friendship. Yeah. Excellent. I'll be yeah. waiting for those letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't wait. That's, I, probably won't, I probably won't do that. I probably won't do that. <laughs> no, we're, on, we're on Instagram now. I'm be like, hey, <laughs> that's right. This is crazy lady right. from Reno <laughs> messaging uh, me. Yeah. Who would you write to? Who would I write to? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. See, that's a hard question, right? I would write to, oh, good grief. I put all my energy into thinking of a good question that I can't even answer. It's such a hard question. Oh, I would write to, I think I'd write to MF Doom. Ooh, wee. You really, you you in it. Yeah. See? I want to know. Yo. Right? Yes. What you hiding behind that mask? It's like and what's going on? Decades what? later, we still want to know, mm-hmm. which is amazing that we don't know in this era with the with the internet, which we know every you know you think you know, like what are you hiding? Mm-hmm. Doom would be a yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Doom would be incredible. Man, that's a great answer. Yeah, it's so interesting too, like because you never get that question. That I just, my, my, instead of thinking about the artists I really want to write to, I'm thinking about the artists who people know. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you like said Doom. Because cause real talk, like if you, if you say Doom, who I really want to talk to is Jean, you know Jean Grey? Yes. Yeah, like that's who I really, I was at an <laughs> event and she sat next to me. I was like, it was the most, 
I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of famous people and collaborate with a lot of famous people. I never in my life have felt so like, can I turn my neck and look at you? You know, because Jean, because because she's just she's just what I want to be as an artist. But anyway, Doom is a. I like that answer. Yeah. You shall see. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dear Doom. Right. When what was your your very 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 first like on your own experience with with hip hop? Your very first like the first time you you never heard of just it before. experience. Yeah. Um. Man, that, you you do this right? You ask, you ask questions for a living? No, I work at the library. Oh yeah. man. well, I guess I Yo, guess I do. Reference questions. Great questions. So I never. That's why. Yeah, you know, I, for my first time was. Uh, my my parents weren't together. My, my 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 parents had me when they were nineteen and twenty, and then they they moved to Wisconsin, and then they separated sort of immediately. And then my father moved up to D.C., and then I went to visit him one summer. My mama took me up there and dropped me off for a summer, and we went to see um, Sugar Hill Gang like way back, way back. And I can't even front like I thought it was like. You know how sometimes people talk about the hip hop memories and like, and that's when I fell in love. That was not when I fell in love. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, that's kind of cool, but but the first time I I really was just like captivated and just I was just like, okay, like life from this point on is gonna be different. Is when I heard um, Run DMC's like f- first album, Run DMC, and I heard the song Suck MCs, and I just was like. I just because you think yeah, I mean I could go on and on like we just had never heard like that was a whole different kind of song mm-hmm. like we had never heard people deliver lyrics that way you know what I'm saying we never heard like we didn't know what a break beat was you know what I mean and and those were dudes who didn't they could care less about what we down south were feeling and thinking but still like they they were just superheroes I just wanted to be and I wanted to be run like my boy wanted to be DMC my other boy who died wanted to be Jam Master J and so for three years like I was run. Um, <laughs> Derek was DMC, and my boy David, who passed. I write about him in the book. He was he was uh, he was Jam Master J. So yeah, we 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 they became superheroes, you know. I um I remember hearing Run DMC, Beastie Boys had right. you know aunts yep. who were older and into it, but I think the first time where it really resonated and I'm, I'm a little tiny bit embarrassed but not really about <laughs> about this story is uh uh we had recently maybe we'd been in Reno for gosh I was maybe 12 or mm-hmm. 13 mm-hmm. so maybe four years or so and it was a shock we moved here from the Bay Area from Oakland uh-huh. and the radio stations it played what they right, play right, here right, right. and uh so I was, I had a paper route in my neighborhood <laughs> and I was riding my little scooter and I saw a cassette tape in the road and I, I like music and yeah. I was thinking, what, what, what could that be? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and so I pick it up and I take it home and start playing it and I'm like, what is this? Why? I, I never heard this in my life. It was the first NAA. Wow. Yo, that's huge. It was the first one. That was the first? And I was so sneaky. So, so sneaky. Because once I I played it, I was like, 
Ooh. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then I said to my, my little brother, I have a bro- two brothers. Um, one's two years and one is eight years younger than me. But the two, come in here, Joseph. GT, come listen to this. Right. And it was our little secret yes. getaway. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the cussing and yep. everything else. Yep. We were, I love that fat girl song so much. It was so <laughs> horrible, girl. but I, on my block. That, that, that girl. <laughs> Man, and, oh my <laughs> it's just so silly, but so fun to create. It was. It was really great. But that was my my first uh, yeah, cause little, was, like, my own first private little taste, and it was mine. And you know, then, that was before cable for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, my mom didn't want to let me have cable anyway. So I'll be listening to NWA. I wouldn't remember. I don't know if y'all know this crew, this group called Two Live Crew. Oh, yeah. That shit was straight porn. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you just listening to porn like real low on your, on your, on your like <laughs> tiny little radio. Um, yeah. And that, for, for worse, I think, introduced a lot of us into like sexuality in this weird mm-hmm. way that people don't even talk about, you know? Because you couldn't see it on TV. I mean, yeah. If you didn't have a TV or you didn't have cable, you couldn't see it on TV. But you could definitely hear it. And I, I remember, like, with, when you bring up Two Live Crew, I remember how that changed for me as a girl listening to NWA and then, like, liking it because it was different. I liked right. the beats and right. it was silly and right. all the other stuff. And right. then it started to kind of go into this other direction oh. where I, I kind of receded yep. from it. Yep. I, I didn't want to go right. there. It yep. made me feel really yeah. uncomfortable. It wasn't who I wanted to 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 be and it wasn't anything that I wanted to right. to hear right. and so that pushed me to start exploring in in other um, places like with you know Farside, yeah, Dell, yeah, people under the stairs, oh, and you know I had Dell come to my class when I was in New York and because um, I used to teach his album and you're right like the NWA especially I mean especially after Ice Cube left I mean. I mean, they were literally killing sex workers on tape and making songs about it. I don't know if you mm. remember, I don't know if you've listened, but I was like, I tell my kids a lot of times now because they often want to talk about um, our future being like so out the box and okay, but that stuff they were doing in the '80s, like the necro rap, where like you people mm. were rhyming about, you know, people were literally rhyming about killing and eating people and sharing. I mean, some of the people I used to listen to. And then I was just like, yo, this is a little too much for me, fam. But at the same time, I remember watching those movies, you know, the same time when those movies, like the Freddy movies right. and all of that. But it was different. It was different for me. Yeah. So anyway, wow. thank you. Yeah, thank you. I think um, we're good. Mm-hmm. Should we keep? I we, used, have about, we have about two, three minutes. Can I tell them one of my lies? Yes. I'll tell you one of my lies. Okay. I used to lie all the time. I okay. would tell people uh-huh. that Dell was my ex-boyfriend. Everyone believed <laughs> me. <laughs> Yes. Wait, when you lived in when you lived in the bay or no? No, when I when we left the bay because I was too little, so I ran up the northwest area, Seattle and wow. Portland. And you can ask my best friend Vanessa. She, I used to walk around like, oh, Dell used to be, and they're like, what, really? Did you ever meet Dell? No. <laughs> <laughs> I used to tell that lie, but everybody knew it was a lie, and my lie was. Tootie. You remember Tootie from Facts but, of Life? Yeah. I was like, yeah, my auntie is friends with so-and-so, and they're friends with Kim Fields. You probably know her as Tootie, but we talking. <laughs> People be like, man, <laughs> shut up, fool. Tootie don't know you. Uh, yeah. That's Dell. That's that's really imaginative Dell, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just quickly, I just want to say thank you, Kisei, for... Um, 
chatting with us and sharing uh, your life, your work, and uh, your love of hip-hop. And uh, all the best. Yeah, I want to thank you for giving me the best interview I ever had in like 30 minutes. Brilliant. Never thought that would happen in Reno, but thank you. Oh, great. Yeah. It's a diamond in the rough, this place. It definitely <laughs> feels that way. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care.